Because what we do is we get bits and pieces. We get general summaries, but we don't get the whole gospel. And when we lack pieces of the gospel in our lives, you really lack the whole thing, right? Like if I came up to you and I said, hey, here's Captain America for you. It's just there's this young guy and he's troubled and he takes steroids and then he starts killing foreigners. Like, yeah, that's Captain America, but no, that's not even close. That's not even close to what that whole movie was about. Right? If I did that to you with the Lion King, it's not even close. And so let me just say this. As we turn to the word of God, let's look at what he says about life. Like we all get, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60, however many years to live this thing we called life. And so if we're going to live it out, we might as well know what we're doing. We might as well know what we're getting into. Chances are, if you're like the majority of people, you believe in one or two things. And both of those things come with implications. The number one thing you may believe, that this world you live in was created randomly. That a long time ago, there was a bunch of energy that just burst, okay, in what would be called the Big Bang, and life was created, and it's amazing how it happened, and we just kind of evolved to where we are today. That's one common belief. The second common belief is that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The implications of the first one is that we don't necessarily have meaning being here on this earth because we're just kind of random, and so you can do what you want with your life. Okay? The implications for the second one are that if there's a God who created the heavens and the earth, that means he's created you as well. And if he's created you as well, then that means you were created with a purpose and with something in mind. And if you were created with something in mind and with a purpose, then we need to find that purpose and fulfill that purpose to serve and to love and to glorify that God who has created us. Bless you. Another implication, right? If we believe that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, that means you believe that this book is true. That you believe that this book is the inerrant word of God, meaning God does not make mistakes. God made the Bible, and so the Bible doesn't make mistakes. If you believe that to be true, then when you hear from this book, you should expect God to speak from it, to you. And if you expect God to speak to you, I trust that you would want to remember it for the rest of your lives. This isn't just another Friday night. This is your opportunity to hear from the word of God. Please do not take that lightly. You've all been given Bibles, hopefully note-taking papers coming around. I'd encourage you guys, take notes. Okay? And if you're open to the Lord speaking to you, he created the heavens and the earth. He looks out for the birds. He's looking out for you and he wants to speak to you tonight. If you would turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 18, verse 18. Luke is in the New Testament. It's one of the Gospels. If you turn to the middle of your Bible, just keep going right from there. You'll reach it. The title for tonight's message is The Rich Young Generation. The Rich Young Generation. We're going to pick up in verse 18. It says, Now a certain ruler asked him, him being Jesus, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? There's a young rich ruler, just giving this story a little context, and obviously he doesn't have all the answers. He may have a lot of possessions. He may have a lot of uh, people that he has authority over. 
but he doesn't have all the answers. And so he asks the question, what does it take to inherit eternal life? You see, all these scripture references up here, I'll be pointing to them, not necessarily turning there. But they're important to write down. In Genesis 1.1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1.31, indeed, it was very good. And then in Genesis 2, since the world was created and Adam and Eve were created, they were given this one command saying, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. That was the command that they were given. You see, to this point, there's nothing but life. Animals have been created. Adam and Eve have been created. There's nature all around them, and there's life. And that's all there is. Genesis 3.1, as we continue on through the story. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said? He goes on from there, but what he does, what the serpent does, is he tries to question what God has said to Adam. And so what happens is, the woman Eve, she eats, and the man, Adam, being a coward, he eats as well, even though he had heard directly from the Lord, this is what is to not be done. And ever since then, there's been death. You see, God wasn't saying, do not eat of that tree for the sake of not eating. It's not like that fruit was some evil fruit that he just, he didn't want them to eat of that fruit that he was trying to spoil their fun. He speaks because he wants life. And so as we see commands throughout the Bible, as we see God and Jesus telling us to do things throughout the Bible, it's not scripture telling us things for the sake of taking away our fun. It's not scripture telling us things for the sake of taking away our life. People go, man, you got to live. The thing is, when you follow God's commands, that's the only time you're going to live. It's that point that man and woman chose to go away from what God had commanded that death entered the world. Not for a second before that. There was no death on the world before Adam and Eve did what they did. So God isn't saying don't eat for the sake of not eating. He speaks because he wants life. And so since that point, people have died. Since that point, dreams have died. Since that point, friendships have died. Since that point, marriages have died. Since that point, animals have died. Ambitions have died. And truth has died all around this world. All because of a decision made a while ago. And so we sit here tonight, and many of you don't know what truth is. And so we sit here tonight, and many of you have experienced death in marriages. And so we sit here tonight, and many of you have experienced death in friendships. Death is something that we have to experience every single day. You look around us and it's going on all around us. And it's unavoidable. And so this rich young ruler, he comes up to Jesus and he goes, listen, I see all this going on around me. How do I inherit eternal life? Verse 19, so Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And the rich young ruler said, all of these things I have kept from my youth. 
So the rich young ruler, he comes up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, how am I going to inherit eternal life? Because I know at some point I'm going to die. And I know you've been talking about this for a bit, but I want to know how I can inherit eternal life. And this is a question we all should be asking. Like there's a bunch of people who two Mondays ago thought that they were just going out for a run, that the most difficult thing that they were about to encounter was 26.2 miles. And now all of a sudden they're missing limbs. Now all of a sudden lives have been lost, right? And it just came out on the news that those two terrorists, that they were planning to come to New York City next. What if they got there? Can you imagine all those people in Times Square just going to see the environment there? You know, quote unquote, innocent people not expecting anything to happen, how their lives could have been in jeopardy. And yet we're foolish enough to say, uh, you know, I'll, I'll talk to you tomorrow about it, or I'll think about it later, or hey, when I get older, maybe I'll think about it then, because I've still got time to get right with God. This is a decision that needs to be made tonight. So firstly, Jesus goes, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. Basically, Jesus goes kind of around the bush saying, hey, you're asking the right person, okay? No one's good but God. And so if you're calling me good, you're calling me God, which is correct. But secondly, he goes, you know these commandments, right? Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And what's the rich young ruler's response? He goes, I've got those. I've got it down. You see, what I want you to see about these commandments here is he's left out a couple, right? You look at the Ten Commandments, how many do you see here? Five. Means we've got a couple missing. Right here, what Jesus has done is he's gone through physical commandments. It's, I don't know how to put this, but it's probably easier to not steal than it is to make something my God other than God. Right? Like, it seems like every day I'm placing idols somewhere in my life. I'm lifting something up to where it shouldn't be. But I'm not stealing. I'm not murdering. Right? So he's pointed out the commandments that I don't want to say are easier, but they're more physical commandments. They're not necessarily about placing God on the top, but they're about what you should and should not be doing. And the rich young ruler, he goes, man, I've got that down. And you can imagine how his hopes are getting up, right? He's asked Jesus how he can inherit eternal life. Jesus goes, all you got to do, he doesn't say all you got to do, but the five things he points out are these five, I'll say laws here, these five commandments here. And the rich young ruler's response is, I've got it. All of these things... I've kept from my youth. And so you look at this and you have to come to the conclusion that what gets you to heaven is being a good person, right? If you only read these five things, you might think to yourself, well, to get to heaven, I've got to not commit adultery, not murder, not steal, not bear false witness, and honor my father and mother. Those are doable things. Those are doable things. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to have my good outweigh my bad, and so with that in mind, we think, well, one day I'm going to get to heaven and I'm going to stand before God, right? And he's going to ask me, what, do you, what did you ever do to deserve heaven? And I'm going to go, well, God, I don't really know, but at least I did more than that guy over there. Like that's what we get to heaven thinking sometimes when we live our lives based on good works rather than living our lives based on faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, what we've done is we tried to take our faith and we've turned it into works, okay? Rather than having works come from our faith. 
So we go on to verse 22. It says, so when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful for he was very rich. You see, it's gone from being a good person. Do not do this, do not do this, do this, do not do this, do not do this. To so much more. We've gone from do not murder and do not steal to abandon your life. It's like God's trying to tell me that my life is his or something like that. And that he wants it. What I want you guys to realize is that each and every one of you, I don't care where you stand, I don't, I don't care what your demographic is, I don't care where you live, I don't care what school you go to. We sit here tonight or stand here tonight very, very rich. Very rich. The fact that most of you, I, I'd probably say 99% of you didn't walk here, just proves how rich you are, even physically. So what we do is we, we sit here, we stand here rich, and you know what, even if we're not as rich as someone else, what we do is we seek more riches because in these riches, we seem to find our identity. And I can't necessarily blame it on you because it's our culture. I can't blame it on itself, it's our culture all around us. Right? Everything's screaming to us, you need to become richer. And I'm not just talking about finances, right? You look at popularity. However popular you are, you need more. If you have this many people liking you, you need more people liking you. If you have this many people following you, you need more people following you. We all look up to our sports idols because they have all these people following after them. We all look up to those actors and actresses because they have this talent and now everyone's following after them. And so we go, man, if I just had more people that liked me, I would be happy because those people on TV look like they are happy. We do this with sports. See it time and time again, where sports have become our God. We, we change our time of prayer based on when the Super Bowl is being played, you know? We all gather into the 40,000-seat tabernacle to worship the two teams that are going head-to-head, -head, right? We're anxious before the game. We're nervous during the game. We're crying after the game. Anyone who's a sports fan like me, you know what that's like. You know what that's like when sports becomes an idol. You know what that's like when your life is navigated around when you have practices and when you have games instead of what the Lord might have for you, where the Holy Spirit may choose to move. We do this with relationships, needing to have that guy or needing to have that girl or needing to have that other friend. We do this with entertainment. You know how many things we choose not to do in our lives because all we want to do is sit back and be entertained? We choose things based on how much they thrill us rather than how much they glorify God or don't glorify God. Imagine how that makes God feel up in heaven. We go, man, you know what, God, I would read my Bible right now, but law and order has got you beat, you know, or whatever that TV show is that you're watching. It's just more interesting than the God who created the heavens and the earth, you know, so I'm going to go be entertained now and forget about my relationship with you. We do this with food, okay? We do, some people do this with too much food, right? They just find pleasure in eating and nothing but eating. Some people do this in the lack of food, well, if I just starve myself, I can get myself to look a certain way. And if I look a certain way, that's what will make me be happy. That's what will give me meaning in life. We do this with jobs. 
okay? I don't know how many of you have a job, juniors, seniors, okay? Maybe if you haven't done that yourself, you've seen people do it, okay? Hopefully you haven't, but maybe you've seen your parents do this, place their job above their relationship with the Lord, place their job above their relationship with you. It's a sad thing. It's a horrible thing to see. We do this with money, just needing to gather more and more and more of it, right? Because however much you have, if you just had a little bit more, then, you'd had a, then you would have enough. We do this with video games, okay? So many young guys, we have an opportunity to use our lives for the glory of God. And so what do we choose to do? We, we beat our favorite video game, right? Whatever it is. You know what? I don't want to uh, become an athlete because that's the gifts that God's given me. What I want to do is make my virtual athlete and win the Super Bowl with him. You know, because then I'll have a pedestal to stand on. Or I don't really want to be a brave man of God and go fight overseas and join our nation's military to fight for our freedom so that people can continue to worship God. What I'll do is just, I'll beat Call of Duty. And that's kind of the same, right? Like we do this with video games. We take life and we just substitute it in. And we think that we're accomplishing something and we're not. And you'd be surprised how much money and time is wasted on these things. We do this with clothes, having to look a certain way. We do this with family, thinking that as long as we're okay with those that we live around, that we're okay with the God up in heaven. We do this with drugs, thinking that we can escape reality. We do this with alcohol, thinking that we can dole out reality. We do it with music, thinking that it doesn't affect us, but slowly it does. We do this with books, thinking that we can read whatever we like and it won't affect us. We do this with school, thinking that good grades will get us what we truly want. And we do this with our health, thinking that as long as I'm healthy, or parents think this a lot, as long as my kids are healthy and fine, that that's what life is truly about. You see, this is a life or death conversation. And so when Jesus says something, we need to listen, okay? And so as he's telling this rich young ruler, sell what you have, give to the poor, come and follow me. What do you think he's saying? He's saying, sell what you have, give to the poor, come and follow me. Is it because selling something is going to bring God glory? Not necessarily. Is it because giving to the poor is going to give God glory? Not necessarily. But the come and follow me part is the most important part. Lots of times what we have can be such a burden and a handcuff that it pulls us back to our old life. And so when Jesus says, sell what you have, come and follow me, it's not like God doesn't accept rich people into his kingdom. It's that rich people, people who are rich, people that have the friendships, people that have the popularity, people who have the athletic ability, people who have the money, people who have the cars, people who have the jobs. What they do is they take what they have and it becomes their God. I've done this in my life. You've probably done it in yours. They take that music, it becomes their God. They take that TV show and it becomes their God. And so what Jesus is saying is he's saying, sell that because it's going to bring death. I'm not telling you, you these things because I don't want you to experience life. I'm telling you these things because I want you to experience the greatest form of life. I'm telling you these things because I want you to seek and follow after me and find out what life truly is. I'll give you guys credit. You're here on a Friday night. You could be lots of other places. But what are you doing with your life? Those things that God has blessed you with, those riches that you have, where are they going? 
And if they're not glorifying God, maybe the message to the rich young ruler is the same message to you. All of these things ultimately do not bring life and do not bring joy. If you doubt what I say, look at the story of Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. Okay? This man had everything. He had everything. For guys, he had girls on his shoulder whenever he wanted it. He had all this money. He had all this power. He had all this land. He had all the cars. He had all the everything. Anything he wanted, all he had to do was snap his finger and he would have it. Okay? And he continues to say, Ecclesiastes 1.14. Let's turn there. There's just these three examples. Ecclesiastes, if you turn in the middle of your Bible, you'll probably hit Psalms. Okay? It's to the left of that, I believe. Nope, just kidding. The right of that. Ecclesiastes. Go to chapter 1, verse 14. He talks about works. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and indeed, all is vanity. All is grasping for the wind. Chapter 2, verse 11, talking about works that he's done. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done and on the labor in which I had toiled, and indeed, all was vanity. All was grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 4. And then I saw for all toil and every skillful work, a man is envied by his neighbor. This also is vanity, grasping for the wind. These aren't the only three examples, guys. This is the man who had it all. He looks at people's works and he goes, it's vanity, it's grasping for the wind. You can't grab it. You can't grab it. As much as you try, you might be able to see it, okay? But you can't grab it. Despite how many times you may try, you still end up with an empty hand. The works that you're trying to live life with, it's not going to cut it. And you might go, man, John, I just think Solomon did it wrong. And here's what I would say to you. He had a chance to pray for one thing, to ask for one thing. God said, ask for one thing, whatever you like. Guess what he asked for? Wisdom. Wisdom. So you think the wisest man in all the world with all the possessions, you think if anyone could have done it right, it's him because he's the wisest man ever, right? And he still goes, it's all vanity. Listen, I, I, I have all the world's possessions. I can use them however I want, and yet it's still vanity. It, it's not cutting it. It's not fulfilling. This is the man with all the wisdom, all the possessions, all the fill in the blank here in the world. He's got it. The thing you want, he had it. And he declared that it was vanity. Verse 24. When Jesus saw that, that's the rich young ruler going away, he became very sorrowful. And he said, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, who then can be saved? But he said, the things which are impossible which, with men are possible with God. You look at Jesus' reaction and it's sorrow. And they don't get it. They don't get it. Jesus' answer to them, okay, he goes, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter into the kingdom of God. Because they're holding on to their riches. 
It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Okay. I don't know if you guys have ever heard the, you know, the story of, you know, there's some gate and the gate was, you know, supposed to be called like the eye of a needle and it was hard to pass a camel through there. That's not what he's talking about. Okay. You guys ever seen a needle? Okay. You know how small a needle is? You guys ever see a camel? Probably not. You guys can imagine how big a camel is? Okay, he's talking about a physical camel going through the eye of a physical needle. Like it can't happen. It can't happen. <laughs> it's kind of funny trying to picture it. But it can't happen, right? Except with one way. Who then can be saved? They realize that Jesus is speaking literally here. And he goes, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. You see, you think you have these riches now, but the things you're passing up, all the riches you're passing up, the riches that you are passing up, the riches that I pass up, when I choose to hold on to the things that are holding me back. If you would turn to John 6 with me, it's got a cool little story in it. It's to the right of where we are right now. But John 6, verse 47 you see, what happens in John 6 and in this passage that we're going to be reading from here, this is early on in Jesus' ministry. And early on in Jesus' ministry, he started performing many miracles, right? And so he's feeding people, he's raising people from the dead, he's got all this cool stuff going on that proves that he's God. Okay? Many other ways that he can prove himself to be God, but he's got all these miracles going on. And so miracle after miracle happens and slowly he's got this following coming after him. He's got a group of people chasing after him, wanting to know what he has to say. Because they know he's got a message, they just don't know what it is yet. And so what we read here in John 6, we're going to be starting in verse 47, we read Jesus' first real public statement of what he's all about. Okay? So Jesus has been performing miracles to modernize it. You can imagine, now he's in the synagogue. The synagogue is a place where everyone would meet, okay? So you can think of the local mall, or if you wanted to think of it on a bigger scale, think of like a small stadium, okay? Jesus goes in there, and the seats are filled. Everyone's sitting down because he's fed their stomachs. Little do they know that he wants to feed much more than that. Let's read from there. Let's see what Jesus has to say about eternal life and about what he's come on this earth to do. Picking up in verse 47. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. So Jesus has one chance to make things perfectly clear, right? You can imagine if Jesus was the president, the president has presidential advisors, right? He's got speechwriters. So you can imagine they've got this whole thing planned out. The disciples that are following after Jesus, they go, man, I hope he just speaks it clearly and specifically and that everyone would know what Jesus is all about and it wouldn't just be us 12 anymore, but lots more would follow after him. And so this is Jesus' big chance, okay? If Jesus was, you know, this is his platform on the debate. This is his time not to blow it, okay? This is his time to speak clearly. And he goes, wait, 
I am the bread of life. The bread you give is your flesh. Like, could he make things any less clear? Wait, Jesus, are we supposed to start gnawing on you? Or like, what goes on here? Because we don't get it. We don't get what's going on. Continues on, verse 60. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a horrid saying. Who can understand it? And when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? What then if you see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were and who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. And from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Jesus goes, this is it. This is what it is. The spirit is what gives life. The spirit is what gives life. Not that relationship, not the sports, not the cars, not the money, not the jobs, not your family, not your best friend. None of those things can ultimately bring you life. Are any of them inherently bad? No. They can all be used for the glory of God, but none of those things will ultimately bring you life. None of those things will ultimately bring you what you're looking for, what deep down inside you know that you need. The Spirit is what gives life. These words I'm speaking, says Jesus, are life. And so what do people do when they hear the truth for the very first time? They start walking away one by one. Him, right? He's got his big chance, okay? Eat my flesh, drink my blood. The spirit is life. All these things people don't necessarily understand, people don't necessarily comprehend. All they know is, this isn't the guy I want to follow. Wait, he's the way, the truth, and the life? Really? Like, the spirit is what brings life, and so they walk away one by one. You can 